All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 18. Michael's absolutely correct. We're going to hear some of Jethro's advice, maybe some insight from him uh, that I think will not only apply to Moses, but could apply to us as well. As you're turning there, I was thinking of this, uh, superheroes, they all like to work alone. And I realize there are some exceptions to that, but it feels like in so many different comic books or uh, even the movies, right, they make that statement at some point. I, I like to work alone. Even Mr. Incredible, right? He says to the little buddy character, I, I work alone. And it's, they, they like it this way, or at least it seems like it, because the others slow them down because of their inadequacies, their inability to, to help the situation. I mean, they're, they're superheroes, in fact. Why would they need someone else with them? So the, those counterparts or even those sidekicks kind of get annoying, right? You can even tell in the way that the, the, the artist or the storytellers make the sidekick. Like Robin's always smaller than Batman, right? You, you think of these kind of things. He's, he's not quite as helpful as you want him to be. But what blows our mind is this phenomenon when they all get together in some major plot twist and start working on the same team, right? When it's not just Mr. Incredible, but it's Elastigirl who became Mrs. Incredible and the, the kids and then the little fireball kid. I'm not saying whether or not I have one of those. But then like when the Justice League bands together, or when the famed Avengers join forces to, to conquer, well, like, all of the bad guys ever, right? It's, it's this, there's something different about it. And, and we like this idea on screen and in comic books. But I wonder if we like it in real life. Do we want to act like superheroes in ourself? Like, uh, I can do this on my own. I don't need a partner. All, the, all you sidekicks are smaller than me. Or do we realize our need for the others that God has placed around us? In fact, we talked about that some last week, and we will be reminded again today that God has placed around you and around me others for his glory and for our good. And so in this chapter, chapter 18 today, I want you to notice this one overarching truth. We'll see today that God is successful at working alone, but we are not. God is successful at working alone, and we are not. So, this Jethro character, we've, we've met him before, but just briefly. In fact, if you remember back several chapters ago, it was when uh, Jethro says to who become Moses' wife, why didn't you bring that guy home? Right? She, they all meet him, Moses, at the, the well, and, and they're like, hey, wait a second. There was a guy who was willing to help you. Go back and get him. He should marry one of you. 
right? There's, there's that kind of in, in, introduction to Jethro. And now, years later, we're with Jethro again. And Jethro has come to meet Moses. And he, he is encouraged in many ways by what he sees and what has happened. But he also notices in the second half of the chapter something that's not so great. So Jethro, this is what we'll see first, that Jethro gave credit to God for all the good that had been accomplished. You see, what we're about to read is Jethro pointing out all that has happened since Moses left Jethro and all the good that is taking place, and he's not giving credit to Moses for that. He's giving credit rightly to God for that. So let's see what he says. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he had said, the God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his, uh, yeah, see, then, oh, where did I go? Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' Moses's father-in-law before God. There was a lot in there. Uh, Pieces of the story that I just thought would be helpful for us to see. Moses is bringing Zipporah and the, the sons back to Moses. I, I find it interesting that it seems like every time they say Jethro, they also tell who he is. He's the Moses' father-in-law. It's not some other Jethro. He's not the one that found black gold, right? This is, this is a different, this is this Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. It's very clear, wanting to double down on that, who this is, Right? Some of you right now are trying to figure out the black gold thing. You'll get it one day. Um, so anyway, there's, there's, there's that piece of the story that's not that important. But what is most important is that as soon as Moses is telling him what has taken place, Jethro is celebrating the Lord at work. This is what he does. When he says in verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. There is a lot to celebrate. I mean, even if you think about what we have walked through so far in these stories, like in this truth, text after text after text, we've seen God do miraculous things. I mean, his hand has clearly been at work. 
It's like, man, he's been very busy. He's been busy parting the Red Sea. He's been busy bringing about plagues that showed his dominance over all creation. He's been bringing uh, like water when they needed water and food when they needed food. He's bringing protection and he's bringing uh, direction and clarity with pillars. And he's, he's bringing all of these things over and over and over. And God is, is doing all of this work. And so Jethro is rightly celebrating the Lord at work. He's looking and saying, look at all God has done. I don't know exactly how Moses told that story, right? He's, he's in the tent. It says that they, they go aside, and it's clear that Moses is, is excited. He wants to tell them all that has taken place. I don't know if, if Moses was quick to give credit to God or not. I, I certainly hope he was. But regardless of how Moses told the story, Jethro realized this was God. And I, I was thinking about, honestly, uh, what I would call a sweet season for Colonial Heights. God's hand is at work in very special ways, and, and we, we get to be a part of it. Sometimes we get to look back, and there's, there's no other way we would, we would say these things took place apart from God. Right? Those are the things we really want. Like when I'm praying, I'm not asking for God to bring about the things that I can bring about. I'm asking for God to bring about what only God can do. Like those are the, those are the ones I want to see him at work. I want to see, and so I was thinking about some of these things that, that we should be celebrating as a church, even over the last 12 months. So by God's grace, we've got 78 new members. We've, got, we've had 23 baptisms. We've had 17 families have stood here like being commissioned to raise their children in a way that would honor the Lord. We've had 137 short-term mission participants. We've, we've sent a church plant, and we've got five missionary units currently on the field. Church, like that stuff, I can't do. I, I, I can't be winsome enough to bring that about. I'm certainly not funny enough to bring that about. I'm not a comedic relief enough to bring 23 people to salvation. Even if I were funny, funny doesn't bring lost to saved. Doesn't bring dead to life, right? I, I can't stir in the hearts of people the desire to, to make Christ's name known in all the earth. Yes, I can talk about it till I'm blue in the face, but it's the Holy Spirit that stirs in somebody and that they would actually sell everything they have to go live somewhere else just so they could tell people about Jesus in another land in a language that they do not speak that is not written yet. Right, that's not something I can do as a preacher. It's not something you can do as a life group leader. It's not something you can do as a parent or a child. This is clearly work that is only happening because God decided it should happen. And so then I thought, okay, what about in our individual lives? Do we have things that we should be celebrating like that? And I thought, okay, questions you should ask yourself that if the answer to these are yes, you have reason to celebrate. Are you saved? Celebrate. You were rescued. Like you were headed for hell and you are now headed to eternity with Christ in heaven. Celebrate. You, do you have a family? Do you 
have a place to live? Do you have a job? Do you have friends? And if your answers to those are no, then you're not a member here. Because if you, are, if you belong to Colonial Heights, you have family. And if you are a member of, you belong with Colonial Heights, then we'll make sure you have a place to live. Right? This, this is what the church does, right? The church looks to each other and says, we need you. You're, you're family. You're friends. You're the one who we care for deeply. You have the church made available to you. You have the word of God provided for you. You have the spirit of God offered to you. Celebrate, rejoice like Jethro. Look at what God has done. Put a smile on your face, like practice right now. Put a smile on your face and rejoice in what God is doing, what you could not do. There's none of that that you can force on, like force to happen. You can try. You can spin your wheels all day long, all year long, and, and you will come up short. So you, we, like, like Jethro, should celebrate the Lord at work. But celebration is like one step short. A celebration is good, right? It's, it's pointing out all of these things. It's, a, it's putting a smile on our face. It's like uh, having a uh, Diane Wentworth do a cheer for you, right? Like it's, it's, it's that. And all of you are laughing because you've had Diane do that. And it's amazing how it happens, right? So, so like, that's celebration. But there's something more than that. And I think Jethro points this out, displays this, because he does more than just celebrate. Jethro worshiped the Lord for his work. It was worship. Look at verse 12. It says, And Jethro, again, Moses his father-in-law, he brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses his father-in-law before God. So wait a second. Rejoicing seemed to be insufficient. Now it was good. I'm not, I just told us that we should be ones who celebrate and we put a smile on our face and then we have a cheerleader and we do these things. And this is, but this is more than just the work of us singing in here. I love the fact that we gather to sing. Like I, I'm all but doing those same toe touches, right? I, I thoroughly enjoy the congregational worship together than when we are singing all glory to God alone. And so, but, but worship apparently is more and David even mentioned this, it's more than just our song. Because what he does is he offers, he brings a burnt offering. That means that he sacrificed animals before God. I'm bringing this before you, saying that you are worth me giving up some of the food that I would have, some of my nourishment. It's worth me sacrificing that for you. He brings a sacrifice. Part of our worship should include offerings of sacrifice. And, and that should come in a variety of ways. I'm not even ashamed to say that should include financial sacrifices that we make. To be clear, that means we should give money to the Lord for his work. We are 
responding to him for all of the good that we just celebrate. And we are saying, you have abundantly given us more than we could ask or imagine. So we want to give some of that back to you because you deserve it all. So we want to we give you some of that. But it's not just money. It's our life, right? It's our time, our energy, our calendar, our schedule. It's, our, it's being inconvenienced, right? If we all nodded our heads, yes, we want to be the kind of place that even if you quote unquote don't have family, you have family here. Guess what? Family is sometimes inconvenient. Sometimes family needs you to interrupt what you're doing and go help them. Sometimes family needs you to stop your regularly scheduled program and shift plans so that you can go serve your brother or your sister or your, your cousin, aunt, whoever, uncle that you call the people in this family. I got to drop that. I'm sorry. I got I to gotta change my plans because my brother needs me. And I was, I was thinking about this, even just for our own picture, that, that sometimes we get trapped in thinking that worship is purely the singing of songs that happens the 20 minutes prior to the preaching of the Bible. And, and one, I would like to make the argument that the preaching of the Bible is a part of worship. Just like the offering of giving of yourself and your finances and your resources and your time and your energy. And in the hearing and reading God's word, I believe God's word in itself should bring about worship, should bring a stirring in us, like it should stir our affections for the Lord. So I wanted to do this. I was looking at different passages to choose from that, that point out some of what God has done. And so I thought we would look to Psalm 18. You're welcome to turn to Psalm 18. Uh, you don't have to either way. I'm going to read it as a reminder for us of the good gifts that God has given to us, who he is for us. Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundation, also the, the mountains, trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went out from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark and with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. 
In the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of, of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the channels of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hand in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you, have, for you save a humble people. But the haughty eyes bring, you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. <coughs> Excuse me. The lamp, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You can have given, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not hear them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Here's what I want you to catch. I know that was a lot of words, but I want you to see this. Over and over and over, he says, you rescued me. You delivered me. Now, he's, he's talking about physical rescue, physical deliverance. But we could echo those words spiritually. 
God, you rescued me from my enemy. The one who was seeking to devour me. Quite literally, the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You delivered me from him. You rescued me from him. You deserve all praise. You deserve all worship. You deserve all of my life. You deserve for me to burn offerings. You deserve for me to bring financial gifts. You deserve for me to adjust my schedule. You deserve for me to change my, uh, my day in and day out. You deserve all of that because you deserve my life. He is worthy to be praised. And Jethro knew it. Jethro knew this God is something different. Do you, do you know that this God is different? You can see Jethro was giving credit to the Lord, as he should have, for doing what only God could do. He's able to, to look at this whole scenario with that Moses is describing and say, we should celebrate what God has done. We should worship God for what he has done. He's, but he's not just pointing to what God could do he's, or what God alone could do, but what God did alone. See the difference? God is the only one who could do this work, but it is God who did it alone meaning he didn't have to have other people help him accomplish his purposes. And so in this next part of the chapter, what we'll see is that Jethro is going to give advice to Moses for all the work he was trying to accomplish. So he's, Moses is trying to do some stuff on his own. And Jethro sees that. So listen, listen uh, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and the other, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands and hundreds, fifties and tens. 
They judged the people at all times. And in any hard case, they brought to Moses. But in any smaller matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Many, many times I have heard that this, this described as a, as a message teaching delegation. Anybody ever else heard that? That this, this is a message of delegation? Some of you are nodding your head, but you are refusing to raise your hand. Shame on you, okay? Uh, but yes, so, so what I would argue, though, is that this is not just delegation. This is discipleship. This is the work of helping others see that they, too, can do this work and that then they should do it. Right? So the first way that that happens is that he's charged to equip others. Equip. Right? He says, uh, verse 19, obey my voice. I give you this advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases. And you shall warn them. So you have to teach them. Warn them about the statutes and the laws. Make them know the way in which they must walk. Moreover, look for able men for all the people whom fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, place such men over the people. And Jesus, thousands of hundreds and fifties and tens. He is saying, I'm, you do need to teach them what is right and wrong. But you do actually have to equip them with the truth. So you have to provide for them. And I, the, part of the reason I think about this in regard to the discipleship process, I think about how I have been taught and how I've been teaching the work of discipleship. Discipleship is when you walk alongside life with someone that they might follow after God, right? That they might look more like Christ, they might be discipled, kind of mentor them, show them, teach them. And so I, I think about it this way, that first it goes something like this. I do and you watch, right? So I'm going to bring somebody else with me. I, I'll say the example of uh, prayer, okay? I, I'm going to pray in front of someone in order that they can hear what a prayer sounds like. I do, you watch, right? Then I might do something where it's I do and you help. So I'm going to pray, but I'm going to ask you to join in with me in that prayer. I'm going to be right here with you. We're going to pray together. Both of us are, go are going to pray out loud together that we can hear that. Then I'm going to say, you pray and I'll help. Right? You do, I help. So you start the prayer and maybe I finish the prayer. Then there's you do and I watch. I just observe. And then there's, guess what? I do and you do because we both got it figured out. So now we go teach somebody else. And so I'm going to teach, some, I'm going to disciple somebody else and you're going to disciple somebody else. And this is how the work of multiplication happens over and over and over again. And this can happen in a variety of ways. This isn't, can happen with evangelism. This can happen with prayer. This can happen with things like hospital visits and nursing home visits and uh, how to take food to someone in your life group, how to, uh, like, 
in so many ways, the work of discipleship takes place this way. In fact, we've even, we're even offering some of those very same things with what we're calling like uh, uh, shadowing, right? So if you're interested, you say, I'm, I'd kind of like to know what it's like to work in preschool or what it's like to work in children's ministry or what it's like to work as even an adult life group leader, that you would shadow someone, we would assign someone to you. And so... You would say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. If you're interested in that, I don't know if this is true, but we're going to go with it. Uh, you can send an email to kbarak at uh, colonialheights.org. And I'm not looking to my left because she's over there. And I don't know if that's what we're supposed to do. But uh, so if you want to do that, you like, let us know. We will happily assign you somewhere that you can shadow. You can be discipled in this way. You can, you can grow in this. Be equipped. So we're not just like throwing you to the proverbial like two-year-old wolves. Okay? We're going to help you learn how to do this. We want to help you do this. So, so this is what this looks like. And that is exactly what they were doing. Right? They were being equipped for this. He was saying, I'm going, you've got to teach them how to do this work of judging, but then let them do it. Guess what? I cannot do this simultaneously while being in all of the life group rooms right now. Can't do it. Don't have that ability. Don't want that ability. Right? This is, so I can only be in one place at one time. So it would not make sense for, for us to do anything but have that kind of help, which is why then not only do we have to equip others, but we have to empower others. Actually give them the reins. I can say, you do it. I, I, I can't just equip you and then stay with you the whole time. That wouldn't work either, right? I give you all the tools you need and then never leave you alone. You wouldn't be able to do your job. Do you realize, I want you to think about how many volunteers it takes to make this whole thing happen. Right now, now we, we need more still, but for next year, we have some 145 life group teachers, like for the upcoming year, already have said yes. We've got 50 plus greeters with the first connection. We have 15, over 15 Wednesday night uh, kid volunteers, seven Wednesday night preschool volunteers, 12 on our women's ministry team, 22 members of security team, eight members of the medical team, 33 members of the AVL team, over 45 praise team, band, uh, all of that, 16 in decision counseling. There's 11 on the baptism team, not to mention elders, deacons, staff, women's advisory council, all of this. Like, and if you're not on one of those, you're like, well, I'm missing out. Yes, you are. You should be one of these. Like, we want to equip you and empower you because it takes all of us. Jethro was even saying, Moses, you can't do this work alone. You weren't designed to do this alone. And he's looking right at me and saying, Chad, you weren't either. And so it, it's, it's my job then to, like Moses, say, we need you. And we want to equip you. We want to empower you so that you can do the work God's called you to do. And you might be thinking, oh, no, like uh, there's 145, 146 wouldn't make a difference. Yes, it would. Like we, we genuinely need you to, to step in, step up and realize this is for me. And it's not you haven't grown, you haven't aged out. You're wondering like, hey, I think maybe my turn's up. No, it's not. We need you in a variety of different ways. And if you're well, waiting for someone to ask you, consider yourself being asked right now. 
We need you. And so maybe you might go to somebody that you know on staff. Maybe you would knock on a door and say, I'm, I'm just interested. I don't even know how I want to help. I feel like the Holy Spirit was convicting me. I need to serve in some way. Find somebody with a welcome shirt and they will help you. We'll fill out a form. You can go on the website. There is a form you can fill out on the website. They're like, I want to help, want to serve, want to give of myself. Do that. Because why? Because look at verse 22. It says, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. They're empowered to do this. So it will be easier for you. It's easier for me, right? They will bear the burden with you. This is great. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. All these people also will go to their place in peace. Here's what he's saying. Hey, leader, you will last longer and everybody else will be at greater peace. You want peace? Serve. That's what he's saying. Like, let other people do the work together because the burden is lighter. We do this work together. I want you to notice what happens here. In the first part of Exodus 18, Jethro is praising God for all the ways in which God is doing what God alone can do. And that God all alone did. But in the second portion, Exodus 18, Jethro is correcting Moses for attempting to do work alone. See the contrast? Celebrate that the only one who actually can do things by himself did it and did it better than we could. Correct when we try to do it alone. God is the only one who doesn't need our help. In fact, he doesn't need help at all. There is no one like God. He stands in like solidarity, completely by himself. The solitariness of God is displayed in his attributes. No one else is like him. When you attempt to prove that you can do this life by yourself, you are not trying to say that you don't need help, and therefore you, you are simply trying to say you don't need help and you don't therefore need God. Do you realize that? And if you're not very careful, if you do not need help and you do not need God, it can only be because you are in fact God. That's what you're saying about yourself. I don't need help. <laughs> I don't need God. Well, if the only one who doesn't need others is God, then you point to yourself saying, I'm, I must be God. I'm the center of the universe. I've got it all figured out. I can handle all these things by myself. I don't need a sidekick. Robin's smaller than me anyway. This is the perfect reminder for us that we need God for our salvation. You cannot save yourself. Like you don't have the ability to rescue yourself. Dead people don't save themselves. This is precisely where Disney has got it all wrong. You can't dream it into fruition. You can't just be true to yourself 
So you'll work your way into all your hopes and all your dreams. You must have help. Because in and of yourself, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You and I have fallen short of the glory of God. We look at a perfectly holy, righteous, good God who never failed, never did wrong, never acted wrong, and he looks at us completely opposite of that. He is holy, we are not. We are separated completely. So what did we need? We needed some way to make our way back to him because the punishment for us is that eternal separation. The only way to meet that need is through sacrifice. And a, and a permanent sacrifice at that. So God sent none other than his son to earth to live a life that we could not live. He lived perfectly. He never failed. He never did wrong. He never acted wrong, never thought wrong, never spoke wrong. He was perfect in every way, holy and righteous and good. But as human, he then took our sin. He was the, this is a big term for us, right? He was the, the penal substitutionary atonement for us. He took on our penalty by substituting for us and dying the death that we deserve. And the way that you receive that gift is to turn away from your sin and yourself and your thought that you can handle it by your own, your, your ways of trying to work harder and do better, be good. Turn away from that and trust in his death on the cross. Trust that what he did really counted. And the way we know that it did is because he conquered death, came back to life, rose from the grave. So would you trust in him today? Would you right now turn from your sin, trust in Jesus? You don't have to wait. Like right in your seat, call out to God. But I want you to listen carefully. If you are one who is saved already, you can't shut everyone else out that the Lord has provided to you. You can't say, okay, he saved me, now I got the rest. I'll take it from here. You, better than anybody, we, better than anybody, should realize how much we need him, not just for our salvation, but for everything in our life. We can't make it without him. He gives you what you need in large part by giving you his church. So look around. See the gift he's given you and your brothers and sisters. And lean, lean on them. Lean on each other. You see, we are going to respond this morning, hopefully in celebration and in worship, singing to him, for he is worthy of our praise. But part of that is even singing a song that just acknowledges we need you. So I'll say this, if you are not yet a follower of Christ, and even as you sit there, you're 
wrestling with or arguing with yourself whether or not you should turn away from your sin. Maybe you have questions or, or maybe you did. You just did that and you want to let us know. Then if you'll come right here to my left and your right, there are some that would love to talk with you, would love to, to celebrate with you, answer questions for you. Maybe, maybe your response this morning is simply to say, Jesus, I need you. We can sing it, we can say it, we can just speak to the Lord in this way. Would you stand with me as we respond?